0: Hello friend, I'm John Carter. Welcome today to the Carter Report. Our topic today is a bit of a bombshell. We're going to talk about the biggest hoax in the last 150 years. Dr. Rana is Vice President of Reasons to Believe in Southern California. He has a PhD in chemistry with an emphasis in biochemistry from Ohio University. Welcome today to The Carter Report. God has His time and His place for everything. And the time and the place now is Latin America, including Cuba. Time Magazine talks about the second Protestant Reformation and describes how hundreds of thousands, even millions of Latinos are coming to the gospel of Christ. I'm not an armchair theologian. I'm speaking according to experience. I've seen it with my own eyes. Recently, we went down to El Salvador. There I spoke in the largest football stadium in Central America with the biggest crowd that that football stadium had ever, ever seen. They came not to see a football match but to hear about the blood of Christ. Millions are coming to a knowledge of God in Latin America. Doors are opening in Cuba. Who knows? We may be going to Cuba soon. As the doors open, by the grace of God, we are going to step through those doors. And we want you to step through those doors with us and be part of our team For such a time as this, please write to me, friend. Don't put it off. Write to me, John Carter, Post Office Box 1900, Thousand Oaks, California, 91358 in Australia. Write to me at Terrigal, New South Wales. Be part of the Second Reformation. Join us and see the miracles of God. Amen. Welcome to the Carter Report. Dr. Rana and Dr. Hugh Ross co-authored the books The Origin of Life and uh, Who Was Adam? Now, those books made an impression upon a Nobel peace-winning chemist, Dr. Richard Smalley. After reading those two books, he said, evolution has been dealt its death blow. Wow. After reading Origins of Life with my background in chemistry and physics, it is clear, said the Nobel Prize-winning chemist, it is clear evolution could not have occurred. Uh, Dr. Fuzz, uh, welcome to our program today.
1: Pastor Carter, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Uh, It's always a pleasure to have you because uh, we share so uh, so many things because you and I are both interested in a with a passion in the origin of life. Where did life come from? May I ask you this question? I personally believe in microevolution. I think you do too. Yes. What's the difference between microevolution and macroevolution as taught by Charles Darwin?
1: Well, I like to think of microevolution as being established Fact, and macroevolution is being sheer speculation. Microevolution just simply refers to the ability of organisms to adapt to their environment. So the example that people would be familiar with would be the peppered moth changing its wings wing colors uh, in the United Kingdom in response to industrial pollution in the environment, going from white-winged to dark-winged varieties. It's still a moth, it just simply is. Uh, varied slightly in response to the environment. That's a well established fact. And in fact, you could even see that as part of the creator's design where organisms are able to adapt to their environment. Macroevolution would be uh, where one kind changes into another kind. For example, a wolf like creature into a whale or a, a dinosaur into a bird. And to me, that idea is really sheer speculation that isn't very well established with scientific fact. People hold on to those ideas of macroevolution largely for philosophical reasons in my view, not for on, on the basis of evidence. Yes. Now,
0: on occasions you'll read the newspaper or see something on television and they'll say, evolution has been firmly established. Here is another case of evolution. You can see it in uh, the mutations that have occurred in a virus uh, or some other tiny little creature. They say, now, here is absolute proof of evolution. But you would say, this
1: is what sort of evolution? That would be an example of microevolution. And again, it's, it's clearly established as a scientific fact. But just because species can vary uh, in response to changes in the environment doesn't mean that the mechanisms for that process can be translated to explain how, again, Uh, large-scale biological changes can happen, and that, in my mind, has not been firmly established.
0: Now, as a scientist, you do not believe in the theory of Charles Darwin.
1: No, I don't. I'm highly skeptical, at least of aspects of Darwin's theory of evolution. Part of Darwin's theory is this idea of microevolution, which I freely accept. Everybody
0: believes this. Everybody, yes.
1: But other aspects of Darwin's theory, the idea that, again, those mechanisms that can explain how a peppered moth would change its wings, can explain how a dinosaur would evolve into a bird, that is something I don't think has been established.
0: Today, 95% of young people from Christian homes in the United States of America, from strong evangelical homes, when they go to secular universities, such as you've gone to, where you got your PhD from, When they go to these secular universities, they are assaulted by atheistic professors on a mission to destroy faith. Most scientists in the universities are atheists. I'm told that the number of atheists in universities in the scientific uh, disciplines, it's around 98%. So most of them, this is not true outside the universities. But inside the universities, the vast majority of the professors do not believe in the Bible and they do not believe in God. Tell me, how can you, a respected scientist, believe in God and believe in the Bible and believe in Genesis 1 verse 1, chapter 1 verse 1 that says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth?
1: Well, let's go to Genesis 1.1. In the beginning God creates the heavens and the earth. science has discovered that the universe has a beginning. And if the universe has a beginning, there must be a beginner, a cause that brought the universe into existence. So on that basis alone, I think it's scientifically credible to think that there is a a creator like is described in in Scripture.
0: Is it not true that until relatively recent times, from around the time of Hubble and Einstein, uh, scientists did not believe the universe had a beginning?
1: That's right, yeah. The prevailing view was that the universe was eternal, that it always existed. The steady-state theory. Exactly, and the fact that we now know that time has a beginning and that the universe has a beginning is remarkable because Scripture not only tells us the universe has a beginning, but it also makes mention of the fact that time had a beginning. And that's a radical concept. We we are comfortable with it today, but when that idea was proposed uh, by Stephen Hawking, by the way, it was a radical idea but it's something that was already found in Scripture, that Scripture anticipated. So to me, to believe in God, just simply from the fact that we've discovered the universe has a beginning, is scientifically credible. Uh,
0: Sometimes when I talk to people about the Big Bang on my television programs, uh, they get terribly frightened. They say, if you believe in the Big Bang, you believe in the theory of evolution. There's no relationship,
1: is there? there? No relationship at all, and in fact, many scientists who are atheists, Hmm. are very troubled by the Big Bang because the philosophical and theological implications are readily evident to them. Again, if there's a beginning to the universe, that means something outside the universe caused the universe. And that's completely consistent with what we think of God in terms of his role as as creating the universe.
0: and, And is it not true, because you're the specialist here and I'm not, evolutionists were comfortable with no beginning because they had almost infinite time. But now we know that the universe took place, uh, came into being in relatively, we say relatively, recent times. And therefore, the window of opportunity for evolution to occur
1: has been greatly narrowed. Oh yes, exactly. And in fact, when we even look at the, the fossil record, we see that as soon as the earth can support life, life appears virtually instantaneously on the earth, and when it appears, it's as complex as life is today. Um, So there's no uh, time for evolution to generate the very first life forms. uh,
0: Did you know the great atheist uh, Richard Dawkins from Oxford University, uh, when he looked at the geological record, he said, it almost appears as though
1: creation took place. Exactly. And he's referring to something <laughs> called the Cambrian Explosion, yes, yes. where the very first appearance of animals on the surface of the earth, which and they appear in the oceans, yes. is virtually sudden. It's suddenly in a geological sense. Yes. It's, they appear in an, in an instant. We have single-celled organisms, and then suddenly, boom, we have these fully formed animals out of nowhere. In fact, Darwin knew about the yes. Cambrian Explosion, and it deeply troubled yes, him. Yes, it did. It's, he saw that as a, a serious problem for his theory. Uh, and Darwin argued, well, maybe if we continue to collect fossils that problem will disappear, but we now know the Cambrian explosion is a real event in life's history and it defies evolutionary explanations.
0: I was astounded to read the remarks of Professor Leakey. You know, he's the, uh, the uh, paleontologist, the geologist right. who, who discovered Lucy. And he said, uh, Lucy was our mother. We came from Lucy. Uh, this was on PBS all around uh, America, and people said, well, this is a, a profound proof of evolution. But before his death, he said, no, we didn't come from Lucy at all. <laughs> well,
1: you know, it's interesting because this whole idea of these hominids in the yes, fossil record yes. like Lucy and yes. the handyman and the Peking man and Neanderthals, you know, people view them as being our evolutionary ancestors. Yes, But the fact of the matter is, Almost every one of those has been rendered by evolutionary biologists, side branches and dead ends. Yes, Nobody knows how that evolutionary process happened, Mm. Uh, and it's total chaos and confusion in that discipline.
0: Absolutely. And Leakey, before his death, said, not only do we no longer believe that Lucy was our ancestor, but it appears that man
1: came upon the scene suddenly and abruptly, completely formed. Yeah, well, this is something that is, to me, mind-boggling. Is that today uh, anthropologists can look at genetic variation of people all over the world, yes. and from that uh, draw information about the origin of humanity. And to everyone's surprise, it looks like everybody on the planet, based on genetic variability, mm-hmm. can trace an origin back to a single female individual. She's called Mitochondrial Eve in the scientific literature.
0: It's a bit amazing, isn't it? They're using the language of the Bible. Exactly. I'm
1: Well, and when Genesis 3.20 says Adam named his wife Eve, she would become the mother of every living person, that statement is literally true. It's scientifically demonstrably true. And every man can trace an origin back to a single male individual called Y chromosome Adam.
0: And you are absolutely certain about this?
1: This is throughout the scientific literature. This Hmm. has been established and accepted since probably the mid-1990s. So it's, it's amazing. Now, evolutionary biologists interpret this, from within an evolutionary framework. But if you step back and say, Mm. what would we expect to see if the Bible is true with respect to human origins? Well, we would expect to see exactly these kind of results. We're talking
0: to Dr. Fazrana from Reasons to Believe, and we're talking about the greatest hoax possibly in the history of the human race, the theory of evolution. Stay with us because we'll be back. you can have all the wisdom this earth can hold just give me jesus give me jesus when i'm lonely and i'm nowhere to
1: can have all the
0: Hello there, I'm John Carter, you're tuned to the Carter Report. My guest today is a scientist, Dr. Faz Rana. Welcome back, Faz. Thank you, John, for having me. It's a privilege to have you with us, but I'm going to read this statement and then I want you to comment on this because this gets to the heart of the matter. Ignorant people think all scientists are agreed about evolution. (laughs) That's that's quite a statement. This is not the case. Thousands dispute it. I took this from another scientist. Uh, Dr. Runner, Darwin had no idea about the complexity of a cell. He thought it was just a blob that had come out of the ocean or something. Now, I want to read you a statement, and then I want you to, to talk about this. I'm going to quote from a person that you know, Michael Denton, physician and molecular biologist, he says, to grasp the reality of life as it has been revealed by Molecular biology. We must imagine a cell a thousand million times. We we've just got, he said we've got to magnify a cell a thousand million times until it is twenty kilometres in diameter. So we blow this cell that you can't see with the naked eye. We blow it up a thousand million times. He says. It resembles a giant airship large enough to cover a great city like London or New York. What we would then see would be an object of unparalleled complexity and adaptive design. On the surface of the cell we would see millions of openings. You know know all about this. I don't know Mm -hmm. anything about this. Millions of openings, like the portholes of a vast spaceship, opening and closing to allow a continual stream of Materials to flow in and out. If we were to enter one of these openings, we would find ourselves in a world of supreme technology and bewildering complexity. We would see endless, highly organized corridors and conduits branching in every direction.
1: Uh, Dr. foz Is that true? Would you comment? That is a beautiful analogy to the sheer complexity and the elegance of that complexity inside the cell. In fact, uh, the complexity and the elegance and the sophistication and the ingenuity of the cell's chemistry convinced me that life must come from a creator. I was an agnostic when I started graduate school studying biochemistry, and within six months, I recognized that there had to be a creator And six months later, I converted to Christianity. But it's exactly for the the very description that you see Michael Denton providing. That was the rationale in my mind for why there had to be a creator. How tiny is is a cell? Um, The smallest cell would be about one millionth of a meter. And a
0: meter is 39 inches. Yes. So it's a millionth of that. Yes.
1: So you can't see it. You can't see it with the naked eye. You can see it with a microscope where you do a thousand-fold magnification, you can see very very, very barely can discern the cell, a bacterial cell. Is a cell almost as complex as a city? It's more complex than the city. It's more complex fact, than a if you, city? In fact, if you were actually able to go, uh, like Michael Denton describes, inside mm. the cell, yes. you would see incredible technology, but it would be completely foreign to you. It would be so sophisticated and so advanced that it would be mind-boggling. Now,
0: tell me about this because this, this well, blows me away. Well,
1: this is something that keeps me awake at night when I think about the implications. It keeps you awake. Yes, but <laughs> in the last 10 years, computer scientists and biochemists have come to recognize that the way the cell's machinery manipulates DNA, which is the information that the cell harbors, hmm. the instructions for the cell, the way the cell's machinery manipulates it is identical to how a computer system functions. And in fact, it's so much like a computer system that there's a whole area of nanotechnology called DNA computing, where scientists are literally building computers using DNA in the cell's machinery. And these computers are found in little test tubes that are about that big called Eppendorf test tubes. And they're more powerful than the most powerful supercomputer system today. That's just a sampling of what you're looking at inside the cell. It's amazing to think that In life, there are are these computer systems that only recently we've figured out how to build ourselves as as human designers. It's totally mind-boggling. But the way in which uh, the cell's machinery is produced is this elaborate assembly line that is so sophisticated and so elegant, it would put the most complex manufacturing operation that we've produced as human designers to shame. The technology is mind-boggling inside the cell.
0: Now evolutionists say that uh, they had a certain period of time on planet Earth for this to happen. But the time, even according to the evolutionary theory, is not very long, is it?
1: No, it's it's just a, uh, a whisper of time. And, and when life appears on Earth, it appears suddenly at the very first cell, as soon as the Earth can support Would life. Would
0: Darwin have come out with his theory of evolution if he had had a,
1: a a way of viewing the cell. You know, you have to think that he wouldn't, uh, because in Darwin's day, is as, as you mentioned, he he just thought of the cell as like a like a blob of jelly. Yeah, yeah, But when you when you appreciate the complexity of the cell, there's no way that that complexity could come about through the outworkings of evolutionary processes. So, so help
0: me out of this. How can an an evolutionist, and I'm sure a sincere man like Dr. Richard Dawkins, and we could mention others. How can they look at the cell with all its complexity and all the information inside the cell and say it happened
1: by itself? To me it's a philosophical commitment uh, to a particular explanation, namely an evolutionary explanation for the origin of life. The evidence doesn't support it. In fact a few So So say
0: it again, the evidence does not support it.
1: Yeah, the evidence doesn't support a, an evolutionary explanation for the origin of life. In fact, if you press most original life researchers, they, mm. will, they will agree that we have no explanation for the origin of life. In fact, they will acknowledge that it really does seem to be miraculous. Let me tell you a really quick story. Mm. Hugh Ross and I, who wrote Origins of Life yes. together, went to an of life conference in Oaxaca, Mexico, as we were preparing to write that book. Mm. And the opening com- uh, opening lecture at the conference was given by name by a man named Leslie Orgel, who died just a few years ago. But when he was alive, he was considered the premier origin of life researcher. He was like the godfather in the Mm -hmm. origin of life research community. And he was given the honor of giving the opening lecture to the entire conference. And he went through a detailed list of all the problems that are confronting a particular explanation for the origin of life, called the RNA world hypothesis. And he stopped and he said, I sure hope there are no creationists in the audience, but it'd be a miracle if a strand of RNA ever appeared on the primitive earth. So it's not that they acknowledge we don't have an explanation, but in honest moments they'll actually say, it really does look like it's a miracle. So if you're a Christian and you think God is responsible for bringing life into existence, that is a robust scientific conclusion. So
0: they accept their ideas by a gigantic leap of faith. Exactly. And it's really a religion.
1: It's a a religious commitment.
0: So Richard Dawkins is the high priest of a great religious cult.
1: I think you could think of it that way. Whereby
0: you believe, not because of evidence, but because you've got preconceived ideas, and you're a naturalist, and you believe in materialism, and you don't want God to get his foot in the door.
1: That's exactly right. In fact, I would say that it's a greater leap of faith to think that evolution generated the very first life forms tremendous. than to think that a creator did it. Mm. The, the evidence is actually substantiated. Yes. So for me to think that God did it is really a, a, a small jump <laughs> compared to the leap that uh, evolution. Uh, of course have to these take.
0: men are full of faith. What is panspermia?
1: Well, this is kind of the the loophole that evolutionists mm. are appealing mm. to, to get around the fact that we can't explain how life originated on Earth. The thought is, well, maybe life didn't originate on Earth, it just simply was transported to Earth mm. from some other location, like, let's say, Mars or Europa. But no proof. Well, there's absolutely no proof. No. But you're just postponing the problem of to, course. A, to another place. Yes. And it doesn't matter whether it's on the Earth or on Mars or any other place in the universe, the same problems are going to confront an evolutionary explanation. And so, at the end of the day, you're forced into a position, whether you like it or not, that there has to be a mind behind life's origin.
0: Uh, It seems to me that NASA is driven by a burning desire to find evidence of life out there in the stars.
1: That is a a strong motivation of NASA, uh, and that's how they justify the the money that they're spending. And, And
0: because they have accepted the idea of neo-Darwinism. Uh, they're smart enough to realize there's not enough time on this earth for life to arise by itself, and therefore the next thing is it arose on Mars or somewhere else out in the, out in the universe.
1: Th- that's it. That's, and, and then it was transported here to earth. And it's again, it's just simply trying to evade a very serious scientific problem that they're confronted with uh, and maintain again, as you say, mm. and I, as I and I would agree with, a religious commitment to a particular philosophical view that shapes how they look at the question of origins.
0: And that's why we believe, with all our hearts, after looking at the evidence, that Darwinism is the world's biggest hoax. Now, we're going to keep moving along. We'll start on this now, and then in our next television program, which we're going to link with this one, we're going to take it up again. Tell me briefly, a little bit, just very briefly, in 30 seconds, tell me about DNA and RNA.
1: Essentially, you can think of the DNA and RNA as the information systems in the cell that harbor, again, all the information that the cell needs to make its machinery and to carry out all of its operations. Hmm. But the information content is mind-boggling, even in the simplest cell. It's it's a huge amount of information. Uh, and it's just so elegant and sophisticated in terms of the way that it's organized and the way that it's structured. To me, the DNA is one of the most powerful evidences for a creator. Uh, it
0: pushes you back to the place where you're going to say, am I going to believe in materialism? Because that's a philosophy. Or am I going to believe in God? And the evidence from the cell and from astronomy and from geology It all points to a great creator, God, and therefore you believe, do you not? I do. I believe that God exists because
1: of the evidence, because of the scientific evidence.
0: Yeah, not because of faith, but because of the evidence. Faith must be based upon evidence. We've been talking today about the greatest hoax in the whole wide world. That's the theory of evolution. You've been listening to Dr. Rana, an esteemed scientist. Please write to me today at the address on the screen. And until next time, this is John Carter saying thank you
1: and God richly bless you.